Welcome back. It's season three of This Spiritual Fix. We begin the first episode of the season talking to Krishna Das, the legendary kirtan singer. Today, we're discussing the teachings of his guru, Neem Karoli Baba. Love everyone, serve everyone, remember God. This Spiritual Fix, Two Mystical Mamas Hacking the Self-Help Game with Anna Stromquist and Christina Wilson. Hello, Christina. Hello, Anna. Hello to our viewers. Today we have a special guest, Krishna Das, and we are going to just first preface this with Christina is quarantined in London with COVID and her Wi-Fi has COVID. I'm going to be leading the majority of this conversation, <laughs> so please bear with us and welcome. Hey, D, is that what we should call you? You can call me Al, but KD will work. Okay. So for anyone who's not familiar, I just wanted to give a, a brief biography about you. That's okay to some of our listeners who might not know you. I'll try not to get nauseous. <laughs> All right. You were born Jeffrey Cagle. And I'm as a young <laughs> and your your Sanya's name is obviously Krishna Das. And you met Ram Das and followed his teachings. And then in the 1970s, you went to India to meet his guru, which is Neem Karoli Baba. You spent about two or three years there and you were coming back to the States and you heard your own voice in your head, except for it was a clear audience. It was some voice from beyond your own voice saying, I will sing to you in America. You came back to the US and within six months, your beloved guru died. And you spent the next 20 years feeling lost because he was your anchor to the divine. And you fell into addiction to cocaine, freebase, and other things. And you always had this sense of something was missing. Then you visited a festival in India, the Bandra at Kenchi, which was the opening of a temple. And a friend told you, you have to see the Maharaji in his big form. And this made me cry when I, when I heard this story. You were watching everyone come and go, everyone come and go. And you had this understanding that we were all connected and we were all one and your guru was always with you. And you, you could feel that he loved you. I'm going to quote you. When I felt the love in me, I could see I was getting in my own way and I stopped. There was no one to get in my way anymore. And the chanting brings me back to that state of not getting in my own way of being nobody. And so with that, your life shifted. You came back to the U.S. and you did, as you promised years ago, brought your music to the Americas. You went on to have 17 albums. One was nominated for a Grammy in 2013. A beautiful documentary about your life is called One Track Heart. And that came out in, the, in 2012. We can watch it on Gaia, which is the Netflix for yogis. Uh-huh. And you established the in 2014 a Kirtan Walla Foundation, which is essentially a nonprofit organization to spread the teachings of your guru. And essentially that teaching is love everyone, serve everyone, remember God. And currently you do a weekly satsang 
called Hanging Out in the Heart Space. That's free online. And you have some live satsangs and online courses about opening and living from the heart. So that's my little biography of you in a, in a nutshell. I, I wish I knew who you were talking about. <laughs> Was it nauseating? <laughs> no, not too bad. Not too bad. One, one little particular point. So in 1995, I went back to India. I had started chanting with people about six months before. <clears throat> and then I quit because I, I, I saw that I couldn't do it the right way. And what I wanted to get from the chanting was to reconnect with, with Maharaja, to find his hand again. And I saw that I was not going to be able, I wasn't going to let myself do that. I was going to actually get stuck in all the bullshit around becoming well-known and et cetera, et cetera. So I quit and I went to India and it wasn't just a friend. Well, in some sense, it was my, one of my best friends, which was Siddhima, who is this woman right here. Uh, I don't know. It's not video, right? So, well, people won't see. I can put a link yeah. to her in, in our notes, but I see her photo. Yes. Yeah. So she, she's Maharaji's great disciple and she took care of the temples and the, and all the devotees for 30 years after he left the body more, almost 40 years. And she's the one who said to me, she asked me what my program was. And I said, well, probably going to go back to America by the end of May. And then she said, no. You have to stay until the Bandara, the celebration of the original opening of Maharaji's temple there in the hills. You have to stay until the Bandara. You have to see Maharaji's big form. And I thought, what is she talking about? You know? But, you know, she asked me to stay and I had no reason to go home. So I said, okay, I'll stay. And then on that day, that's when my whole life changed, <laughs> to put it very simply. I did have an experience that absolutely, totally changed my life. And I was curious about that experience. Do you ever kind of feel like you take a few steps away from it and need to come back to it through your music? Or are you always there? <laughs> well, that's a good question. On one hand, I'm running as fast as I can away from it all the time. But on the other hand, there's nowhere to go where, where you're not. So it's a question of allowing yourself to come back home again and again and again and again. And that's what spiritual practice is about. And that's what chanting is about. It brings me back, not to something that happened in the past, but something that is present right now, which is everything. Yes. So the chanting is very powerful for me that way. And, and it's a practice that my guru said over and over to us through the repetition of these what they call in india the names of god these divine names everything is accomplished mm -hmm. so that's uh, a lot that's a major statement and i would say that i probably believe that about two percent <laughs> it's a good two percent really, if i really believed it you know uh, would i ever stop singing you know Right. Never. So my own stuff, our own stuff gets in the way of us finding, you know, what we really want. Right. So I wanted to share a story with you and then it'll lead into my next question, which is I actually had a visitation from your guru 
a couple weeks ago, I was in my bathtub and I was really, does he like bathtubs? He loves bathtubs. Oh, well, that's Especially when other people are in them. Well, I didn't know that. So I was trying to get in touch with my human vulnerability of guilt and worthlessness. And I was trying to magnify that feeling in me to see what was on the other side of it. And he entered the room and he put his hand up on my forehead and without words, he he showed me the image of a beautiful flower. And the idea was something like, you know, we worship the flower. Flowers are on wallpapers and on fabric. And, you know, we think flowers are so beautiful, but they grow out of the soil. And then I saw how the soil was like made of dead mm. bugs and carcasses and worm shit and just crap. <laughs> and, and, and he was showing me that it's not that the flower grows from the shit. It's that the flower and the shit are a pair. They, you know, it's a package deal. Mm. And that all the worthlessness and guilt in me, it didn't mean I wasn't also a flower. Mm-hmm. And it was really beautiful. And and I was like, okay, I'm a shitty flower. I'm a shitty flower. And then he left. And then, believe it or not, your your friend Ram Das shows up because he's been visiting me a lot. We talk about that sometimes on our podcast. And I, I said to him, well, why aren't I changed? People who come into contact with this Neem Karoli Baba are always changed. And I'm not changed. Like, okay, I'm a shitty flower, but I'm still just me. And he said that the love that the guru has for me and that Ram and Hanuman and even Ram Das has for me is always available. But the limitation is in, in the resistance is in my own heart and in my own mind. So it didn't matter if the guru was in my bathroom or it didn't matter if I was in India meeting him in the flesh. It's the resistance will always be in my own heart. And so I wanted to talk to you about resistance because I believe that your music has a lot to do with removing the resistance to feel the divine. And I wondered if you could talk more about that. Yeah, yeah. beautiful experience. The guru and God, or whatever that means, loves us as we are, as we really are. They see who we are and what we are. We don't. And so... We're always judging, evaluating. We're always believing the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves all the time, every day. And we believe everything we think. That's total insanity. So practice, spiritual, it it frees us from believing those things. It even, it, it frees us from identifying with those kind of things over and over. And the thing is this, you may feel your ground zero may be on a piece of shit. Okay, I'm a shitty flower, but I am shitty. That's, you know, that may be your ground zero, your basic feeling about yourself. But what happens over time is very interesting. Through practice, and by practice, I mean anything that opens you up to a a deeper place in yourself over time you don't think that so often but you don't notice you can't notice that you're not thinking that because it's the evaluator the judger who's always noticing all that stuff and it's the evaluator and the judger that's thinning out and disappearing but you don't see how much time you don't spend thinking you're a piece of shit so it's very interesting. So in the time that you're not thinking you're a piece of shit, 
you're not engaged in egoistic identification. Like when a kid is playing, right? There's nobody, he's, he's just playing. He's not thinking, oh, I'm really playing now. This is super fun. I'm playing now. This is great. No, they're just the playing. Play. They're totally into it. So when you're totally in the moment, there's no mind stuff going on. If there is, then you're not. So don't think that Maharaji showing up and blessing you and Ramdas coming to you, don't think that doesn't have an effect. It has a tremendous effect, but not in your conceptual thinking. Yeah. It's when you're not thinking that way that you feel what that's all about. And that's why chanting is so powerful, because it's such a simple practice. You sing. When you notice that you're not paying attention, or you notice you've been lost in imagining something about the future, or thinking about the past, or planning, or blah, 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 then you come back. If you don't add a practice to your life, you don't come back. <laughs> because there's nothing to bring you back. We're just lost in dreamland the whole life long. Right. And boop, then we're gone. We do it again next time. So the presence of these great beings in our life, in our lives, are powerful magnets that pull us into ourselves. And believe me, we don't have a fucking clue how we're doing if we're if we're getting anywhere on this path or not. We'll never have a clue. That's just that's just bullshit thinking. Just live your life, do your practice, watch some TV and eat. That's it, about it. Maybe a couple other things now and then. Yeah. Really, it's not uh I mean one of the really great saints, Mayor Baba used to say, Don't worry, be happy. Okay. Yeah. But how? Yeah. But that's how is that that's not the issue. Don't worry, be happy. Okay. So um going into one of our other questions was so your your kirtan, your chanting helps bring you back to the divine. I actually had a dream of you that an angel was telling me that That's the brain a nightmare. A nightmare. <laughs> I dreamt that this angel was telling me that we cannot conceptualize that we are the divine. And it, in order to remember yeah. we are the divine, we have to visit the divine again and again. Right. And you were there and Ram Das was there. And it was saying that Ram Das would visit the divine through his drugs before he found it in real life. Mm -hmm. And that you visit the divine through music. Yeah, and so yeah. and I'm curious, aside from music, what are other ways that the everyday person listening can visit the divine? There's a million ways. First of all, when you say divine, I I cringe a little bit, you know? It's because it implies it's something, somewhere else. Right. It's something right. else. It's better than us. It's above us. Yeah. It's supremely pure. And we're not, etc. I just we talk about I talk about our true nature. I talk about the love that lives within us as who we really are, right? So how do we get to that place? Whatever helps us release the stories we tell ourselves and the negative emotions and and the, the traumas and the betrayals, whatever helps us release that, those things, when we release them, we automatically come back. We don't have to try to come back 
And and it's not the me that becomes divine. It's when the me is not there that everything is divine. So it it's not you doing it. You're not going to make it happen. You just have to let go of thinking all the things you think about yourself. And then you've uncovered the jewel inside. Mm-hmm. It's not, you don't add on to it. You can't. Because what's inside of us is the whole universe. You can't add on to something that already includes everything. Right. But you can uncover that awareness. Right, 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 right. By coming back again and again, just like you said. Yeah. There's a word about, there's a word, one of the definitions of meditation is becoming familiar with what it feels like to let go, to just be here, to not be planning, to not be judging, to not be lusting, to not be imagining, you know, all those things that pull us out of ourselves. It's hard to get familiar with that. And you can only touch it for a second, then your mind just chops it up and you're gone again. But that's why coming back again and again and again and again. And eventually you get familiar with being here and you don't go away. And when you do go away, you don't stay gone so long. Yeah, you'll be like, that sucks. Let me go back. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, I'm kidding. I mean, uh, yeah, but you know, once again, see, that's just. But even it's part of the fun. Part of fun is falling back asleep, isn't it? I mean, well, not if you're playing, in, in the, not if you're standing on the edge of a cliff, you know, and <laughs> with your feet halfway over, you don't want to fall asleep. And we are all the time. Right. Halfway off the cliff. And it's only by grace that we don't fall off and remember ourselves, you know. It's the reason we say that, you know, part of the fun is falling asleep is because because we're the expectations that we face when we try to calm down are very disturbing in the sense that they really rile us up. We have we sit down to meditate. We have such expectation. We're going to calm down. We're going to feel love. We're going to expand. And we don't. Every day we don't. Every day for years we don't. You know, and that's very hard to deal with. So it's, so, okay, I just want to give, I want to, I'll, I'll just get drunk tonight. You know, fuck it. I'm out of here. Yeah, but the problem is then you've just reinforced again the karmas of not being here. So at some point, there's a, there's like a figure ground reversal and you just naturally stop doing the shit that hurts you. There was this Lama that said what most people call bliss is just a little bit less pain. And that's, that really, that's, that's where we're at. There is a thing called bliss, ananda, ecstasy, our true nature. That's what it is. And we just turn the level of volume down so far, we don't even know where the knob is to turn it back up. So we're willing to put ourselves to sleep. We're willing to create more and more suffering for ourselves and others. And we don't even give a shit most of the time. That's the amazing thing. And and not just you and me, but everybody. Mm-hmm. Read the newspapers. Where are we now? Look what, look what we're doing to this world. Because we're doing each one of us to ourselves. And it expands exponentially in all directions. Christina, you feel well enough to ask some questions, or? 
just, well, well, no, because I've just enjoyed listening so much. It's been a nice thing. So, you know, Anna and I, on a previous episode, we've talked a lot about the inner kind of guru versus the outer guru, right? And after what you just said, I kind of feel silly asking this question in some ways, but, you know, I wonder, you know, for you, like, what was the experience of an outer human guru to have that, you know, or, or outer divine guru, you know, that you had in order to like, how did that help you on your spiritual journey? And like, have you internalized like in, in the process of him ascending and passing, have you internalized that? I'm like kind of, cause I know that some people feel that they need a guru in order to be able to, to do the work. Right. It's like, it's like they're, as we call it kind of <clears throat> the, the aid that helps to get to that place where you maybe feel a little bit of that bliss or you maybe are able to get out of your way a little bit better when you have that out of guru. So can you speak to that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, unfortunately, the story that that people tell themselves, I need a guru in order to blah, blah, blah. That's just another way of not doing anything. And the fact that people believe that show that they don't understand what guru actually is in the first place. In the second place, they just, they're not motivated to actually do anything to help themselves. So, guru inside outside first of all there is no inside or outside it just looks that way to us there is no inner guru no outer guru the guru is within all the time because that's where everything is if that guru that lives within shows up outside of us in in another body it's only outside to us not to him just to be clear okay him or her it's not to the guru, but because we are attached to our bodies and identified with our bodies, we see this is me and everything else is something else. So if it's best for you in your, if you're, if it's the right thing for you on your path to meet the guru in an external form, that's what will happen. If it's not the best thing for you, it won't happen because the whole thing about a guru is that, a real guru, they only do what's best for you all the time. There's no other reason for them to be here other than compassion. So if it isn't what you need, they won't show up. If it is what you need, they show up. So in my case, I needed that because I will... I. I, I grew up in a way that didn't allow me to feel any love and did not allow me to feel loved in any way. And I needed to have that experience in order to survive. I would not be alive if I hadn't met Ramdas and then I, I hadn't gone to meet Maharaji. I just wouldn't be alive. I didn't have it in me. The karmas I had in this life were too destructive and there was no way I was going to be around. So I got lucky and I didn't have to die in the early age at this point. So in this life. And I would have. I was very depressed and, and I wouldn't have made it. I wouldn't have been probably 
I would say I wouldn't have made it past. If I made it to 25, it would have been amazing. And even if I had lived to that age without meeting the heart, I wouldn't have been happy. I wouldn't have been. It would have been a horror show for me. So, as it was, as you know about my history, I got strung out on three days cocaine years after being with him, you know. So it was as, you know, it was like, it was like we were all on a train and the train stops at a station and we looked out the window and there's Maharaji. So we all go running off the train and we sit with him and we're with him. And then the next thing we know, we're back on the train of our lives. But we've been with him. So it's different. Guru, God, and your true self are not different. They're one thing. But we don't know that. So what? You're going to wait around and watch TV the rest of your life waiting for a guru to knock on the door? When you're suffering enough, you will find something to do that helps you get through the day in a good way. And if you don't, that's just, that's who you are. You can't pretend you're not. If you're sitting around not doing anything because you, you don't have a guru, it apparently is your karma to waste your life and not do anything to help yourself or other people. Maharaji's teaching to us was not egocentric. It was think of others. <laughs> Don't think about yourself. Think about others. Love everyone. Serve everyone. And do some practice. Remember God. That's practice. And you know, there were people who knew him for 50 years. And they didn't seem very special. And then there are people who know him for, like Ramdas didn't spend much time with Maharaji this life. He spent a few months the first time and about a half a year the second time again. And in his presence. So it's not about, it's not about that. It's about what life means to you, mm -hmm. what it means to us, what we want out of life. How we want to go through our day. Am I muted? No. <laughs> no, now you're on. So I, I've been calling it my Ramdas work of these visitations, and I'm trying to live more from my heart. And yeah. I'll be honest, it is really fucking hard. It's to, not too hard. To feel to feel everything. Maybe you haven't felt mm. in a long time. Mm. And I'm wondering if you can talk about the painful tenderness of the heart opening in the beginning. And and does it get easier? Well, when we begin to feel our own stuff and other people's stuff, it is, it can be very painful. But that's what practice is for. Right? When you're chanting or meditating or quietly chanting, you have to let go. And come back. That's the deal you make with yourself for that period of time. The tears that come are not bad. They're not, it's not a mistake. It's not, uh, you're not doing anything wrong. Let them come. 
because there's a lot of pain in our hearts, a lot of a lot of sadness, a lot of a lot of years of not being not feeling loved. And there's no way around that pain. You have to go right through it. But when you look around, you see that you're not alone. Everybody feels that way. It's only certain people that will allow themselves to really feel it. Most people are victimized by it. They don't feel it. And when they're victimized by the pain that they feel, they close down. But people on the path, so to speak, they're on the path because they have the ability to live through that. And there's no shortcuts. But if you really notice, it doesn't last that long. It's not all the time. Mm-hmm. And even though we're so accustomed to uh, judging ourselves for our emotions and giving ourselves a hard time about our feelings, you know, it's something that subtly changes as time goes on. It shifts. And it shifts as the heart gets wider, not smaller, <laughs> not tighter. Because when the heart is as wide as the world, everything is free to come and go. Everyone, all feelings, all emotions, everything passes right through like clouds without any problem, without causing suffering. So when we're in the presence of that love, I mean, I, I cry. I mean, I guess maybe I should, I should, I should think, well, I should be happy, but there's a, there's a poignancy about it. There's a, there's a, there's a, such a sweet sadness to it. it. And that's okay. You have to, you know, allow yourself to be you, you know. You don't have to push things away and judge things and try to understand things. That's one thing we're not, it's above our pay grade, understanding things. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I had a dream about Ramdas this last week, I think it was. it was. I can't remember the details, it was nice. We we were together for over fifty years, you know. Wow. And uh, it was the last twenty years were fantastic, and that makes up for the first thirty. You know, he Maharaji said to him when he when he was coming back to America the first time. Maharaji said, "Don't talk about me." Well, what did he do? That's all he did. That's all he did is talk about Maharaji. And then, then he had to live with the fact that all these miserable Westerners decided to go to be with Maharaji because oh, he talked about it. I, so I, he, I listened to that lecture. He was pissed that they were all there. Pissed. He hated us. He absolutely hated us. Yeah. 
and loved us at the same time, but he hated us too. And the things he would say and do to, uh, to me, I mean, were just so horrible. Oh, God. I can't even, you know. But it's understandable. At the time, maybe it wasn't, but, you know, certainly. But the last 20 years, we hadn't seen each other much, much for the 10 years before the stroke, at least. Maybe a couple of times a year we'd go out to dinner, but we didn't, we weren't spending a lot of time together. Then after the stroke, I went to see him and we just, we really fell in love again after that. It was wonderful. And it got better and better and better. Yeah. Um, and we, we would just sit in silence, you know, say hours. Nobody had anything to say, but we just together. And I realized that in later, after he left the body, I realized that we had developed that this way of communicating, a way of being together had developed and deepened so much over the years that it wasn't about talking or doing, or it was really being together in that space. And one time we used to sit together for hours and hours after breakfast. And everybody else would go away and just be the two of us at the table. One day I recorded our conversation. We were, we were having this conversation about all the things, some of our history together. And I reminded him of some of the nasty shit he did to me. And he laughed and I laughed. And then, you know, versified that. So at the end I said, well, what should I call this recording? So he went, call it Dick and Jeff's Journey to Soul Land. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah. Publish those files. I'm sure many would love to hear that. Yeah, I, actually, truthfully, I haven't gone back and listened to it again yet. I will at some point. Yeah. Yeah. When the time's right. Yeah. 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 I yeah. I have a question. I have a question for you. Unless you were you were going to say something. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. It's funny because on our podcast a lot, we have a tendency to intellectualize a lot of these concepts because it's, for me especially, it's what helped me kind of get into the heart space and I'm still working on that all the time. But one of the things we talked about at the beginning of the season was the idea of not being the doer of action. And I feel like when I listen to your music, it's the closest I can come to understanding that without my mind. Mm. And I wanted to thank you for that. The one thing for, for, for putting that out there, but also, I, I don't know, like how, when you, when you are chanting, like, what is the space that, like, do you need to prepare? Do you need to do something to get to that space? Or is it automatic now when you're there, you know, that so that you can convey that so that I can feel, I mean, <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? <laughs> the words lack. Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, it, listen, if it was up to me, I'd probably just be watching television. So do I have to say any more? It's all Maharaj's blessings. He's just transmitting. That's what you feel. It's uh, him. I'm just a, a an old AM radio that he turns on and off as, as he <laughs> wishes. 
The radio doesn't know anything about anything. It doesn't know anything about music. It doesn't know what's coming through it. It just makes noise. That's what it does. It transmits. And I also feel that when I chant and his presence deepens, it's a different experience than the rest of the day, for instance. So it, that's his blessings. That's his transmission. That's his grace. Now, the thing about being a doer, this is something that you will experience directly yourself. It's not something you have to manipulate yourself into thinking or believing. In fact, that's, that's not useful. When you're really not being a doer, it means you're 100% doing what you're doing. There's no part of you that's going like, wow, I'm really doing this. There's no meta thought, no small s self-awareness. There's just immersion in the moment. Whatever it is, and whatever you're doing in the moment. So, if you, it's not something you have to make up yourself or talk yourself into. Through the ripening practice of chanting or meditating or service to others, we will experience reality, which is that there is no one in here. There's no me in here. That's just thoughts. There's no one thing that's my ego. The ego is just a bunch of thoughts that we are identified with because of our karmas. It's not a thing. So, through practice and living and ripening, that awareness will bubble up from inside. But I think it's the, 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 the pain that we have and the, the longing that we have to be immersed in that love. That's what pushes us forward, you know, and calls us actually, and draws us within. And so that's by letting go of the stuff that's keeping us stuck in thought, in emotion, in stories, etc. By letting go, we naturally just move in, move towards our center. It's all these things we will experience ourselves sooner or later. We have to because that's the deal. So it's not required and nor is it useful to try to understand how I'm not to do it because who's thinking that? You're, you know, you're, you're in quicksand, you know, being sucked down to the quicksand thinking, now what is quicksand? How does that work as you go down, down, down into it? Oh, know? that's so me. Yep. <laughs> so. So you just do your practice, find out what helps you connect, do something regularly, and live your life. Go for it. Whatever whatever's in your head to do, do. Get out there and be yourself. Be real. Be engaged. Don't hold back thinking you're going to be a spiritual person and you're not going to do these things. That's bullshit. So... Yeah. Live the best yeah. life you can, become the best human being you can be, and, and hurt as few people as possible, including yourself. And more than that, you can't ask. Yeah. That kind of ties into a question I have for you about, you know, Sheila, the, the precepts, not killing. Do you, what are your... There's a whole bunch of precepts. Well, there's a bunch of them. 
yeah, (laughs) there's a bunch, but let's just focus on on, on that one. My question was about vegetarianism or veganism. I know that there've been times in my life when I have been a vegetarian or a vegan, and there's times when I stray and I'm wondering, what are your beliefs about that regarding your spiritual practice? I don't have beliefs. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Or do you, I think Ram Das was a big vegan. Uh, Um, Ram Das was not a vegan, he, and nor was he a vegetarian. He didn't okay. eat meat, but I believe he ate fish. Okay. Uh, so it's not like a quote-unquote requirement, because it seems so attachment-based to be attached to the veganism or the vegetarianism, right? Well, anything you're attached to is not healthy. But if it, But on the other hand, doing what you feel is best for you, it's okay to be attached to that. I mean... Attachment is causes suffering. That's the de- definition, the quality of attachment. So when you say it's not good to be attached to being vegan, it's not to be good to be attached to thinking you are who you think you are. Right. You start there. Right. Yeah. Right. So, but since that's too, you know, okay. Well, then I'll fuck around with all this external stuff. Oh yeah, veganism. I don't want to be attached to that. I don't want to be so. Personally, I became a vegetarian the minute I quit I, I quit playing basketball in college and stopped getting free burgers at the in the dining hall. I had already started doing yoga and asana practice at that time and and in the two or three books about it at that time they always talk about vegetarianism. So I just stopped eating meat, fish, chicken, and all that stuff at that point. I think I still ate eggs for a while, but look, the man said it clearly. It's not what you put into your mouth that matters. It's what comes out. The damage, the suffering we create with what our actions and our words, that's where the, that's what's important, not what we eat. Now, there are people who would feel differently about that, but you're asking me. I know people who would kill you if they found you eating a chicken. Chicken. Right, right, right. Now, really, really, you're you're angry at me, another human being, for my actions. You're ready to kill me because I'm not. I don't believe what you believe. It's like now, killing that, the abortion doctors because you're pro-life. If you're mad, it's you know. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, this world is completely fucked up. Completely fucking crazy. 247365. If you have any moment, slight, minuscule, little second of not being crazy, it's an extraordinary blessing. And then you look around and you see what's going on. And it's it's a fucking horror show. But that doesn't mean that our hearts need to be destroyed by it. Because if our hearts are destroyed by it, we can't help anyone. So the work we do on ourselves is not just for ourselves. It's for everyone that we come in contact with. I I sing to anybody who wants to sing, with anybody who wants to sing. I don't care if they're meat eaters. I don't care if they're killers. I don't care if they're the worst people in the world. If they want to chant, I'm there to chant with them. Why? Because... If I don't, then they don't have that opportunity to 
create, to plant the seeds that will help them in the future. And if you don't help them, if they can't help themselves, then they'll continue causing suffering for everyone, including themselves. There have been places, there have been like places that I've gone to sing where there have been terrible sexual abuse, all kinds of nonsense going on, power tripping and manipulation and cult kind of stuff. And people have been very angry at me for singing in those places. But they don't understand. If I don't sing there, what, yeah. Where, where are you going to sing? Where there's only good people? Where there's only people who never do anything wrong? Right. Except they shit on the floor of their own house? You know, I mean, come on. You go you where you to, need, they need you the most. It, yeah, and it's, I don't even feel like I'm doing it, like if I'm, if I'm doing something great. I just, wherever I'm asked to sing, I try to go, if possible, because that obviously where Maharaj is sending me. So it's people who are suffering who need help, and we're all suffering. So the anger that that you know, the self righteousness that a lot of people have, and of course it comes out of pain and their own betrayals and their own pain, but it's a lack of understanding, unfortunately, and and they get very angry about that. So what can I do if you want to get angry about it? Anything I can do. But if you want me to sing, if you want to sing with me, you're welcome. I have a funny follow-up question about rules regarding singing and your chanting. I got my yoga teacher training from Kashi in Atlanta, which is Ma Jaya Bhagavati's. Yes, I'm sure you do. And it was interesting there because the first time I ever went to a kirtan from there, nobody was moving their bodies. I really wanted to dance because when I get into kirtan, you know, even just like, I want to really move my body. And someone said to me, oh, you're not supposed to, because you have to like keep the kundalini in your spine. And I said, that seems like a silly rule. (laughs) So I just had to ask, (laughs) have you ever heard that? Is that a common thing that people say during kirtan? You have no idea the things I've heard. (laughs) <laughs> you know everybody's selling something you know mm. it's whether you're willing to buy it or not so if that works for you knock yourself out if it doesn't yeah. find something else to do everybody wants everybody every, there are a million paths up the mountain and everybody on each one of those paths thinks their path is the only correct way. That's just the nature of being a human. Mm-hmm. It's just stupidity. So you just find the best thing. That's why the whole path to me is learning to trust oneself. The <laughs> whole path. If you don't trust yourself, where will that love manifest? Next mm-hmm. door? You know, it's got to open up. It's your heart's got to open up, and for that to happen, you have to allow those feelings to come. And if you don't trust yourself, you're not going to allow that. You're going to constantly shut yourself down. Yeah. So that being said, you know, um, that, so whether you get involved in a, in, a, in a, a situation like the one you just described, or you don't. It's a question of, you know, 
how you feel about it. And there are a lot of people who like to be told what to do. My guru never told us what to do. That was the weirdest thing. And here it is, my last moment in India, the last time I saw him in the body so far, and I'm leaving for America after two and a half years in India, walking around naked, uh, naked walking around barefoot with a red dress on, you know, I'm about to come back to New York. And I, I said, what, what am I supposed to do there? You know, he said, do what you want. The greatest teaching I ever got. Do what you want. Because you know what? That's what you're doing anyway. Right. <laughs> so you might as well cop to it and not try Brilliant. to make excuses. You know, this is mm-hmm. what I'm doing is what I want to be doing or what I have to be doing because that I want to do what I have to do. I have to take care of my responsibilities. I want to do that. So that forced me to pay ultimately to pay attention and to to work through a whole lot of stuff that I wanted to do, that I thought I wanted to do and see where it led. It led me to drug addiction, led me to sickness and disease (laughs) and suffering and torture. Mm -hmm. And then I guess, well, maybe I I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) So then I finished with that. Next. And ultimately, it led me to chanting again, back to the practice that had I had met in India. But if I had all those as Ramdas used to say, uncooked seeds inside of me, I would not be able to chant the way I do chant. But I, those seeds got cooked because I followed what I wanted to do, and not it wasn't all holy. Most of it was to- terrible, ridiculously, ridiculously torturous and horrible, and selfish. You and think I, that you think by being graced with the presence. Um, your guru that that you accelerated the burning of those karmas so those seeds could toast or you think it was your life practice that that he didn't do anything i mean he clearly had a big impact on your life but do you think he just necess- he just accelerated what would have happened anyways how would i know yeah we don't know we can't do a case study right <laughs> yeah there's no, no you know it is there's what no it is yeah, yeah. It, it feels like he must have, though, you know? I don't know. It just Well, you know, I can't prove it to you, but I would agree with you. You know, that he saved my ass many times. I know that for sure. I used to, the image I always have about myself is I just jump off the cliff. And he moves the cliff. And I land on the ground instead of 400,000 feet down, crushed in the rocks. He moves the cliff. I jump off, he moves it. I can't even fucking kill myself. He won't let me. So, but yeah, so what you, you said, did, so one time, you know, Maharaji used to tease us. He used to look at us, the Westerners, and say, I have the keys to the mind. I could turn your minds against me. And we would be, Father, don't do that, don't do that. He would laugh. Ah, he's enjoying himself so much, you know. But, and we used to see, he used to say, I'll transfer you. And, you know, you wake up one day and you go like, 
what am I doing in India? I, I want to go back to New York. I feel like going to a, a blues concert. Oh, yeah, because he go got back. in your head. Well, what do you oh. mean? Oh, well, when he transferred you, he put that thought in your head? or well, Yeah, he could do whatever he wants. He could just, he can, he can put whatever thought he wants in your head. He can move you like, like, a, like a chess piece on a board. So he has the keys to the mind. So many years later, I said to Sidney Ma, I said, Ma, Maharaj said he has the keys to the mind. So to me, that means that I am where he wants me to be. So, is it all his doing? Is it all grace? Or is my effort required? So she said something that was so good. She said, Krishnanath, it's all grace. But you have to act like it isn't. I love that. Yeah. I'm writing that down. Yeah, you won't forget it. Oh, no, you won't forget that one. Well, my mind's just like... <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah. So, yeah. Because then, why are we here then? What, you know? Well, that's a whole other thing. Well, that's, yeah. It's <laughs> another can of worms. <laughs> Got another hour? Just <laughs> <laughs> why, once again, why the question is irrelevant to us because it can never be answered by us. We can't understand it. It can never be answered. And it's not the point, it's a distraction of the mind, right? To try mm -hmm. and figure out. I think the only question you could ask is really, how the fuck do I get this together? You know, how do I deal with this? How do I free myself from suffering? Mm -hmm. How do I show up for others? How is, is a good question. Why? Not useful. Yeah. But, so, but because it, in a sense, you know, in Buddhism, they talk about ultimate reality and relative reality. Relative reality is our reality. This, the table is real, the microphone is real, we're talking, this seems real. Ultimate reality is the perfection in which, uh, of everything as it is. It's very complicated and also very simple, but we don't live in, in ultimate reality. Mm -hmm. And relative reality in relative reality, there's suffering. And every being in the universe that's in living in relative reality suffers. So we don't want to suffer. So we have to free ourselves from that. And when we, we, when we become free of, of all pain and suffering, then we're, we rec it means we recognize ultimate reality. So the grace, Maharaji doing everything, it's all done already. That's ultimate reality. But we don't know that. Mm -hmm. We know we wake up in the morning and we start bullshitting ourselves all day long. And then we try to figure out what's going on. We sit a little bit, we, you know, and we go through our lives. So in that reality, we have choices to make. People mm -hmm. say, you know, Baba, I say, if you think you have a choice, make it. Mm -hmm. You can't, don't. Don't try to up level. Oh, it's already done. It doesn't matter. I be like, yes, it matters. You want on this something. plane. On this plane, it does. Yeah, know? but there are people who don't want to admit that. They say, "Oh, nothing matters. It's all ultimate reality. It's already done. It's all grace." That's the kind of thinking that's super destructive because it, for us, that's a fantasy. We don't really feel that way. 
we don't really know that it's all done, that there is no ego, that there's no suffering. We, for us, there is. So to, to try to up-level it mentally is really... It's trying to like by, bypass... Yeah. Yeah. Bypass your, yeah, yeah. your practice and your seva, serve, mm-hmm. serving others for those who don't know that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's also the craving for the formless. It's my favorite, my favorite craving. <laughs> <laughs> for the formless, is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah, for the uh, formless. <laughs> well, you're lying because when you say formless, it isn't formless. You have a, it has a form. You're calling it, it something. Does. So it's not the formless you crave. It's freedom from thinking and freedom from suffering. Yeah. The formless mm-hmm. can only be approached through form because we're in form. Right. And Maharaj said that. He said it's through the form that you reach the formless because the, the essence of all form is formless. But we don't even know what that means. Mm-hmm. But what you're saying you want the formless, that's not really what you want. You want to be happy. That's what you want. Yeah. And you imagine that the thing that you're calling formless will be happy for you. That it, that's not formless. That's a, another feeling that you want to have as opposed to other feelings that you don't want to have. And feelings of form. Just like <laughs> you. <laughs> yeah. Feeling of resistlessness. And happiness Maharaj and resistlessness. Yeah, I'm say sub ek. It's all one, all one, sub-ek, all one. But we don't know that. I think I'm me, you think you're you. That's two right there. <laughs> you know, and three, with you know, the three of us, and then there's all these other people. So all one is ultimate reality. Relative reality is us dealing with our ship. Yeah. Which is the only way to get beyond it. You have to deal with it. You have to... Yep. You have to recognize it and learn how to release it and generate and plant the seeds of what you really want in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Complicated stuff when you start to talk about it. Yeah. Thank you so much for, yeah. yeah. We can't talk about this shit with everyone, you know? <laughs> I know. <laughs> no. And yes. And I, and I'm eager to, I'm eager to hear, Anna, did you have any more questions? Cause I'm eager to give them some time to play. Cause I would love to hear, cause I feel like we've talked a lot about it and then we can experience it. Um, yeah, no, definitely. I, the thought. I feel like, yeah, I feel like I'm satiated <laughs> on the apparent level. Uh-huh. <laughs> on the level of form and the, yeah. the mind feels satiated. And now the heart's like my turn. <laughs> Yeah, would you like to sing? I, I guess you, you made a promise. You can't turn it down, right? <laughs> Did I promise anything? Yeah, you know, if you want to, we can talk again. I, I enjoy talking with you guys, and we can uh, do this again if you want. That's oh, the minimum. We love it. Yeah, absolutely. This is great. Uh, where yeah. where are you located, roughly? Oh, well, I know where you are, Christina. But... Yeah, we're both in at well, we're both in Atlanta, Georgia. She's oh, about yeah. a, an hour and a half away. And um, are you in New York? You're on. I'm about an hour north of the city. Okay. And I think you were just in Maui. I was looking at your events list on your. Were you just in? in No, I'm going. Oh, you're going. I'm going. Okay. Oh, yeah. You're so. Oh, I did have one question that was just not that spiritually related, but I was curious how has COVID affected your kirtans? Because it looked like you're delivering live 
for people who don't know, Kirtan is the call and response chanting that he does. So you're back to doing that now again? Well, I've done a couple of things with actual living human beings in the room, but I'm not so far. I haven't really been touring. Okay. I'm going to be doing some like on Maui. We're doing like a seven day, five day retreat Then I'm going to Costa Rica. I'm doing like a, another five or six day retreat. Then I'm going to Baja in Mexico in the end of January to do like a seven day retreat. So it seems like the retreat situation is a little bit more controllable in terms of health issues. Touring and going to different cities night after night with big halls and lots of people. You know, I don't know how that will work yet. Although, okay. although we'd supposedly have something planned for February and March on the West Coast. Okay. I guess I misunderstood. So those are kind of isolated long-term events. They're not just yeah. like a drop-in coupon. It's okay. not like a, like a big tour one after the other, you know, yeah. sing and go. Yeah. But I don't know. Yeah. I guess we're planning to try to do that in February, March, and I'm a little bit like, really? <laughs> you never know. You can be optimistic about it, right? <laughs> optimistic. Wow. I forgot what that was. <laughs> and, um, about realistic. I... I saw you have some online courses. I'm really curious about. Oh, the, there's some really great stuff. Yeah, really um, one of the courses in there was talking about how to live from the heart. Or do you recommend one of your courses over another for someone like me who's who's trying to? I, I've done a lot of vipassana and a lot of mental based meditation, but I'm trying to be more heart based now. Mm-hmm. Or if that makes sense, I want to yeah, feel yeah. more. Yeah. <laughs> Well, one thing I would suggest for you, since you've been doing the passing, would be to look into Sean Salzberg's stuff. Okay. Meta, M-E-T-T-A, is okay. loving kindness meditation. Yeah, they teach that in those courses, but yeah, but they don't. It's just the yeah, little no, bit. For me, it's the whole thing, really. I mean, the passing—it's a very powerful practice, but meta is also a big part of that. And you and, said Sharon uh, Shazberg. Salzberg, S-A-L-Z. Okay. B-E-R-G. Okay, perfect. And I'll put a link in the show notes when I do some research on that. Yeah, she's she's fantastic. She's a very good friend. We met in Bodhgaya in 1971. She kept meditating all these years. And I just kept watching TV. So <laughs> so you keep referencing TV. What's your favorite show right now? I don't have a favorite show. I just watch, you know, I, I'm even embarrassed to tell you what I like. The most. I like <laughs> Downton Abbey. <laughs> no, really dark serial killer. I love that. True crime too. Oh my God, I love uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> I say this is proof of my colleague because I just love those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. But I, there's a lot I, of good I, stuff on. A lot of yeah. great. So I don't know. You know, there's, I don't really know what's on my website. So I don't know what to tell you. But the last, I did three courses for the Shift Network. I would say out of those three, um, if you wanted to do one, try the last one, the third one. Okay. Just, it's, I think it's really more natural and more kind of, I think it was really good, but really okay. good. I also just did one for the, another network called, um, yeah, I wish I had a mind. Embodied yeah. philosophy. Okay. That's not available yet. But hopefully it'll be available soon. Okay. And then just look. I think there's a lot of stuff on my website that's free. Yeah, I wanted to let our just... listeners know that who's listening that, that you have yeah. you have free courses, you have lectures, you have book downloads. You've got. 
I think you have more stuff for free than you do for sale in that, in that shop or in that, in the, in the free area. So if you're loving this interview, please go check out his website. It's www.krishnadas.com. Yep. I I also have a follow-up question that's just dropped in Mm. because for years I did a, I did my own little kirtan with me, myself and I on the full moon. And cause I was living in a really remote place at the time when I did it. So for someone who is interested in not just necessarily, obviously participating in kirtan, but also singing kirtan themselves, do you have any advice for someone who might want to use that as their practice? Open your mouth. Just and open your make mouth. noise. Remember what <laughs> Lauren Bacall said, just pucker up and blow you know you know you can you can sing along with the cds that's practice too you don't have to be yeah with other people which can be problematic and you don't have to just do it with by yourself and you know when you don't have any support that's what the cds are for they're, they're to be okay. sung along and that yeah. is practice you know for sure yeah. you can check out i'm sure it's easy to find different groups who are chanting but you'll have to really see if it works for you because it's not so easy to find one that doesn't have a lot of yeah. uh, stuff in it. So Yeah. I yeah. just want to drop in. A, we like to give little practical tips on our, on our podcast. And I just want to put this one out there that whenever I'm cleaning my house, which I do have a lot of ego resistance to, <laughs> I, pu- I put in my little wireless headphones and I play your music. Uh-huh. Excuse, excuse the the hacking dog in the background and I get into the zone. I just, I just listen. I do the call repeat with you while I clean and my house, it turns something that I find annoying into just something beautiful. Like I'm like, I'm going to transmute today's cleaning session with, I want to know what love is by Krishna Das, you know, or whatever. And it, it, it really makes some of these tedious life chores so enjoyable. So thank you. You've been with me many, many house cleanings. I see. Well, probably more at your house than my house. (laughs) Yeah, cleaning the heart and the house at the same time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Very good. Wonderful. So uh, what would you like me to sing? Gosh, my son's favorite is Jai Ram. He always sings that. He's a little six-year-old. He loves that one. I love the one, I want to know what love is. Uh-huh. Yeah, that one is so beautiful. Uh-huh. Well, we, don't have, we don't have a lot of time. Let me see if I... Whatever you, whatever you feel inspired. Yeah, whatever you feel inspired to do. Uh huh. Let Baba G pick it. <laughs> What's that? Let your let, guru pick it. Yeah, let let Maharaji pick it. Uh.
Thank you for your all your wisdom. Yeah, it's a pleasure talking to you all anytime. Take care. Um, Did you love this episode? If so, head over to www.krishnadas.com where you can learn so much more about this amazing artist and get access to his free gifts. Under the shop tab, you can find his online courses. And under events, you can find access to his weekly satsang called Hanging Out in the Heart Space. It could be one way for you to deepen your practice to remembering God. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Hi, y'all. Listening to the last season of This Spiritual Fix may have stirred up for you some awareness of how the mother wound ties into so many of our subconscious needs and desires in our daily lives. Well, we've put together a comprehensive five-week course on this mother wound, complete with meditations, journal prompts, and never-before-seen videos and lectures. This course is designed for you to heal your personal and cosmic attachment wounds, reparent yourself, and surrender to the Great Mother. This course is an intense experience for spiritual seekers, and maybe you're not ready for something that intense yet. So we've put together our version of what we call the Shadow Work Essentials course, the Mother Wound Mini to give you access and awareness to this wound with tools to process your energy and to remember the Cosmic Mother's love for you. I cannot emphasize enough how much this work has changed my relationship with my partner, my kids, my family, and the world. It can be life-changing for you too. Go to our shop, www.thisspiritualfix.com forward slash shop for more details. Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, 
Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover. 